0: Well, happy Thanksgiving as the uh, other campuses. Uh, And venues, join us. Would you bow with me right now for a time of prayer? God, we uh, indeed are coming off a week where we're uh, focusing on this idea of giving thanks. If I don't miss my guess, uh, most of us here and at our other campuses and venues give our thanks to you. We attach thanksgiving to you and we show you the gratitude and the gratefulness that we have for all the blessings we've been given. Uh, Today, Lord, we want to talk about what your word says about that and even a challenge that your word gives us to even go beyond Thanksgiving and what that might look like. So God, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see more than anything. May we have tender hearts in order to receive what your word says to us. And Lord, our commitment back is that once we know what the truth is, uh, we will do our very best in the power of your Holy Spirit to live it and apply it to our lives so that we might align more fully and regularly with you. So God, after we've now worshiped you, would you speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, Amen. 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 So here's something that you and I have learned up to this point in life, and that is that sometimes the best experiences in life are so precisely because they go a step beyond. It's true. Sometimes the best experiences in life that you and I have are precisely that way because they go some extra distance. So let's start easy. But we all know that two scoops of ice cream are always better than one. Give me a head nod that y'all understand that, right? I mean, I appreciate your modesty when you're at the ice cream store and you say, well, I should only get one, you know, because I'm trying to, you know, watch the weight. But if you get two, I promise you, you're happier. I'm a car guy. Uh, six cylinders are always better than four if you're a car guy. Eight cylinders are always better than six. And so if you're into cars, you know that going the extra distance has to do many times with what's under the hood. Two weeks of vacation are always better than one. This we know, multiple Cleveland Browns victories, (laughs) right? are always better than none as we've had in the past. Are you noticing a pattern here? The, the best experiences in life tend to go beyond. I could go on and on. If you work out on a regular basis, you know that pushing yourself, that little extra bit can many times make a huge difference in getting in shape. If you're married, you know that if you add groveling to your apology, then many times that's going to make it a better experience. With your job, if you work harder and smarter, there's a better chance of getting that promotion. See, we've all learned this in life, that many times the best experiences are so precisely because they go a step beyond. We've learned that it's worth it to go beyond. And here's my point, and that is that with God, it is many times this way as well. It's true that when it comes to our spiritual lives with the Lord, going beyond the norm, breaking out of the status quo, even standing apart from the world around you, can and will make all the difference. But one of the reasons that many Christians struggle in their experience with God where they would say they don't experience them on a regular basis is because they're just fitting in in the status quo. They've never learned to go beyond in their experience with God and thus experience them even more fully. And this idea of going beyond is all over the Bible. And so as we're just coming off Thanksgiving, let's test and apply this reality of going beyond. And I want to share with you what it would look like to go beyond Thanksgiving. Last year was the first time that I'd ever done a Thanksgiving message. I I just had never done one before. So last year, remember, I did a message on what Thanksgiving is all about. And this year, I felt led to continue this theme in talking about Thanksgiving. But today, in keeping with the theme of going beyond, what would it look like to go beyond our thanksgiving even deeper with God. What would the Bible say about that? And here's your main point today. And that is that if your thankfulness is tied to God, and for most of you it is, that's what you did this last week, if your thankfulness is tied to God, then consider making it a lifestyle of ongoing worship. If your thankfulness is tied to God, make it a lifestyle of ongoing worship. In other words, it's one thing to be thankful now and then, or even for a believer, thankful all the time for the blessings that you have been given. That's what the Thanksgiving holiday is all about. But if we want to follow the biblical pattern of going beyond, of maximizing our walk with God, then this will only come when we morph our thanksgiving into full-blown, daily, consistent worship. Let me show you what I mean. I want to put the definitions of thankfulness and worship up here on our monitor, and let's compare and contrast them. If you were to look up Thanksgiving in Webster's Dictionary, this is the definition you would get, to express gratitude to someone or something, to show appreciation for something. Pause right there. That's what we did this last week. We showed our gratitude, we showed our appreciation to God or maybe to whoever it is that you wanted to show gratitude to but Thanksgiving is all about showing appreciation for the blessings and the things that we have and it's a good thing to do. Worship, however, here's what I need you to see, goes beyond because worship is defined as an act and attitude of wholeheartedly offering yourself to God. So one of them is about gestures, a gesture of thanksgiving. The other one, what I need you to see, goes a step further and offers all of you completely to someone else, in this case, God. Worship is an act or attitude, anytime, anywhere, of wholeheartedly offering yourself to God. You know, I think one of the best ways to to see this is for you and I to uh, talk about what it looks like when we show Thanksgiving and what it looks like when we offer ourselves to somebody else. Have you ever thought about the difference? Uh, Thanksgiving usually looks like this. Say you're out on Black Friday and it's really congested and you're in a busy parking lot and you're driving down and there's only one space and you see somebody else coming towards you and, and you see the space. And even though you're a Christian who should be other-centered, you want that space. And so you start heading to the space, and, and, and it's, and it's going to be touch and go. Who gets there first? And the other person stops short and gives you that space. Now, how would you communicate your thankfulness to them? You would do it like this. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you doing that. You give them a wave. You give them a thumbs up. You do something as a gesture to show you thanks. We do that all the time. If Richard holds the door open for me today and I walk through it, I might put my hand on his back and say, hey, thanks a lot for doing that, buddy. We, we, we use gestures to show our thankfulness. That's the posture of thankfulness. And that's a good thing to do. Now, how, however, would you show uh, your offering yourself to somebody bodily? How, how would you show that? I think the best illustration here is when we're at funerals. Most of you have been to funerals. And how many times have you heard somebody say at a funeral, if there's ever anything that you need, let me know. I I hear that all the time. And it's a wonderful thing, by the way, to say to somebody. Because they might need you and you want to offer yourself to them. But can you imagine saying that to them with the gestures of thanksgiving? I mean, can you imagine saying, hey, if there's ever anything you need, just let me know, and uh, I'll be there for you. You would never do that. That would be rather dismissive. That wouldn't open yourself up to them. No, what you do when you go offer yourself to somebody at a funeral is you square up, you look them in the eye, you face them, and you even have an open posture, and you say, if there's ever anything you need from me, you might even grab their shoulders, just let me know, for I'm here for you. I simply need you to see a very, very different approach to communicating thankfulness, to communicating your offering yourself to another person. One of them goes way beyond the other. And here's the point. God is interested in your thankfulness, but he is much more interested in the whole of you offering yourself to him in worship, each moment of each day. It's fascinating when you uh, study the word for worship, or at least one of the words for worship in the Old Testament, it's a very, very pictorial word. When the uh, worship was first introduced to humanity in the Old Testament, they used a very common Hebrew word back then. It's the Hebrew word shaka uh, to communicate this idea of offering yourself to God. And the word shakah appears over 200 times in the Old Testament, and the word literally means, it's translated worship, but it literally means to stoop, to bend, or to fall prostrate before another person, which in the Hebrew culture, let's be clear on this, was a way of offering yourself to another person. So if you were in that, in that you know, monarchical environment where you had a king and serfs and all the other things and you were offering yourself to another, you would do it on bended knee, right? Because that was a sign of humility. It was a sign of openness to offer yourself to another person. And so when they started to talk about how we need to approach God, they used this word shaka to basically communicate, I'm opening myself up to God. As an entire package, here I am, my sights are set on you. Watch this, I'm yours, all of me. And so now you're ready to understand Psalm 95, verse 6. When it says, come, let us worship Shaka and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In the Hebrew culture, this was the best way they knew to open themselves up each moment of each day to God in worship. And it goes way beyond thanksgiving. It involves this idea of humbling yourself before God, the whole of you before God, heart, mind, and soul, and basically saying, I am yours. And so don't miss this. Once you understand that this is what worship is, worship then becomes any activity any activity throughout the day that opens yourself up to God and allows him into the fullness of your life. One of the greatest myths among evangelical Christians today is that we have reduced worship. We think worship is singing on Sunday morning. I hear people say it all the time. I'm going to worship. I love to worship. And I know what they mean by that. They mean singing. And don't get me wrong. Singing is can and should be worship. But man, it is so much more than that. Worship, according to the Bible, was meant to be a moment-by-moment activity where wherever you are, you are opening yourself up to God each moment of each day. That's why I say it goes beyond thankfulness and it's where the rubber meets the road for any serious follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's how it works in the day-to-day life of an average worshiper who, won't, who wants to go beyond mere thanksgiving. You wake up, and if any of your initial thoughts are toward God, before your feet even hit the ground, as you're coming out of that foggy sleep, if at all you think, wow, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm his, and he's mine, And you focus your thoughts on God. Do you know what you're doing in that moment? Say the word with me right now so that we're all clear. Worship. The Bible says you just started your day with worship. And then as you're brushing your teeth or in the shower or whatever you do next. If again your thoughts are on God or maybe that's the time that you think of God. And you you breathe a silent prayer saying thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. What are you doing in that moment? Say the word with me so that we're all clear worship and then as you go down for breakfast and you say a prayer of thankfulness before your breakfast that's worship then you're driving down the road and you're on the 101 and somebody cuts you off And instead of showing them one finger, you decide you're not going to do that because you're a follower of Jesus and we don't do things like that. And so you kind of let them go by and you say, I'm letting that thing go. And then you say, thank you, God, that I can forgive other people and not make a big deal of something silly like that. What are you doing in that moment? You're worshiping. You're opening yourself up to God. See, it happens all throughout the day when you're on the treadmill listening to Christian music, when you're in a meeting and you get stuck and you don't know what to do and you're breathing prayers of help to God, the Bible says anytime you're opening yourself up to him, that's worship. It can happen at a Cardinals game, a play, the opera, whatever activity you're in. If your heart is surrendered to him, the Bible slaps a label on that and says you're in a worshipful mode. And it's a very different activity than mere thankfulness. Though thankfulness is great, worship goes beyond. And so maybe now you can understand, and this is a verse I hear Christians use often, but I'm not sure they understand it, uh, what the psalmist means when he says in Psalm three, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. How do you do that? Well, here's how you do that. Every conscious moment you can you are to be walking with God in your heart of hearts you're to remain open to him in an attitude of worship in your actions and as you do that you're going way beyond thanksgiving listen folks I'm going to talk about this in a second here we're all made to worship something if you choose not to worship God each moment of each day here's what's going to happen you will worship something we'll talk about that in a minute But God hardwired us to worship and to worship him. And whenever we wholeheartedly offer ourselves to him, wherever we might find ourselves, we are worshiping. Never, never forget that. I ran into a great story from NPR this week when I was in my study. And uh, I I love this story because it, it, it really acts as such a great challenge to you and me when it comes to this idea of our daily lives and worshiping. The story concerns a 38-year-old father of two who lives in Montreal, Canada, and one day he was going to the grocery store, and so he jumped in his car, and he put in a CD in his car of his favorite music, and the first song that came on as he was heading to the grocery store was a song from 1990 called Everybody Dance Now. I didn't know the song, so I Googled it, and all of a sudden, yes, I know that song. So if you don't know the song, you can Google it later. Everybody dance now, but it's kind of a rockin' song. That's a dance song, and as the song came on, he started to sing along with it, but it is a lively song, so he was singing in a lively way, and this is a true story. After a few minutes driving to the grocery store, he noticed a cop behind him with his lights on. And and he thought, well, he can't be pulling me over. So he pulled over, and sure enough, the policeman pulled in behind him. And then, true story, another car pulled in right in front of him, and four policemen surrounded his car. And they had him roll down the window, and the policeman asked him, this is the article, they asked him if he was screaming. And he said, no, I was just singing. And they explained to him that in the different boroughs around Montreal, they have different ordinances for noise. And in the particular borough that he was driving through, this is what the ordinance is. And I'll read it to you. Noise resulting from cries, clamors, singing, altercations, or cursing, and any other form of uproar is prohibited. And they gave him a ticket for $118 for singing as he was driving down the road. This happened about a year ago. The man said in the article he was going to fight the ticket. I couldn't find any other follow-up to this, so I'm assuming uh, Canadians be kind of tough, and so I'm assuming that he actually ended up paying the ticket here for singing too loudly as he was driving down the road. Now, here's a great question for you and I to wrestle with. Would there ever be a chance of you and I getting a ticket for worshiping God anywhere outside of church, yes or no? I think it's a great question to ask. Better yet, maybe let's ask it this way. Have you ever been caught worshiping God in any way that might be slightly embarrassing to you? It happens to me more often than I'd like to admit it. I can remember when I first became a Christian, and I was struggling with a lot of things in my life, trying to get my life in order and submit to God on a regular basis. And, and I was struggling with patience toward my mom and dad because I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I'm trying to walk with God and I'm in college and, and I would get frustrated with them. And so uh, one day, true story, I, was, I went up to my bedroom and I, and I just, I mean, I, no one told me to do this. I just thought this is the way you do it. I, I got on my knees right there on my bed like a little boy. And I just laid on the side of my bed and I was crying out to God for patience. And this is a true story. My dad, without knocking, opened the door. And he looked at me there on my knees and he gave me this quizzical look because no one ever did this in my family. And he said, what are you doing? And I was so embarrassed and I snapped at him. I said, I'm praying. He <laughs> said, leave me alone. And, and so he, he shut the door and I went on to pray for patience for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so embarrassed that I got caught praying to God, because I, I, that was something so foreign in the family I grew up in. There have been times where I'm driving down the road and I'm talking to God, or maybe even singing to some sort of praise music, and I, I look over and somebody's staring right at me. Has that ever happened to you? And, and I feel a little red in the face, but then I'll think, hey, I, I'm doing the right thing. I told you this before, there's times I'm walking around my neighborhood and I go on these prayer walks where I will pray as I walk and talk to the Lord. And sometimes I'll have a posture of openness to him because I'm wrestling with him. And so I'll be walking like this and kind of eyes shut and eyes open and and, and I must look like an idiot. You know, King David at one point was dancing before the Lord. Remember this story? And as he was dancing before the Lord, his wife said, you look like an idiot. And he didn't care. Because dancing before the Lord was his way of worshiping God. I wonder what would happen, or if it ever happens, that you and I ever get caught worshiping God. Because daily, we should be opening ourselves up to him in a myriad of ways. And I guess what I'm saying is that if you never ever get caught, I wonder how much we're really worshiping him on a day in and day out basis. Now, once we understand this, once we understand what worship is and how and why God made us to worship, the only question I want us to ask and answer before we go to our elder fund offering is this, what could be holding some of us back? What could be holding some of us back? In other words, what prevents you and me day in and day out in your daily life? I'm not talking about church, but day in and day out of offering ourselves to God in worship? What keeps us from going beyond Thanksgiving? I want to suggest to you four things. Four things that I've learned in being a Christian now for almost 40 years, a pastor for almost 30. Four things I've noticed in me and in you that many times hold us back. And the first thing is what we're simply going to call ignorance. Ignorance. In other words, we just didn't know that we have this Liberty, this wonderful freedom to offer ourselves to God each moment of each day, and that that's really the primary activity of a Christian. It's a fascinating story in Acts chapter 18. There is a man named Apollos, and when you read the story closely, Apollos had a lot of things going right in his walk with the Lord, in his faith, and his doctrine, but not everything. And so he runs into a couple of other leaders in the Christian church named Priscilla and Aquila. And I want you to look with me what happens because this is a very instructive story for you and me when it comes to this ignorance thing. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this is a very, very fascinating story. If you were dialed in, I think most of you were, Apollos had a lot of things going right. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent, meaning passionate in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately. But there was a major flaw when it came to baptism, which is this beautiful ordinance that we're commanded to do where you go down in the water to symbolize Jesus' burial, his death on a cross for your sins, and then you come out of the water symbolizing his resurrection for you and it's a way of identifying with Jesus. When it came to this baptism, he'd never heard about it. He was only familiar with John the Baptist's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. And so Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and say, man, you got a lot of things going right for you, but you've been kind of ignorant on this one thing. And we know that this story has a good ending because Apollos will go on to be mentioned later in the scriptures as a profound disciple maker and even a right-hand man to the apostle Paul. But it took him getting over his ignorance and dealing with his ignorance in order for him to go beyond. And here's my point Some of us are like Apollos. We have a lot of things going in our Christian life. If I followed you around for the day, I'd check off a lot of good things you're doing. You started well today. You're in church. And and so you go to church and you might be involved in a Bible study and you might even have daily devotions and you might be doing your best to to walk the walk and talk the talk and you might even give of your resources to God. I mean, there's a lot of things that you're doing right. But one thing that you're ignorant of is that 24-7, each moment of each day, God wants all of you completely and fully that you are going to be worshiping something. And to the best of your ability, he wants a disciplined mind and heart focused on him in whatever setting that you're in. He wants an open posture from you. And some of you are saying, well, what else could we be doing? I, I notice most Christians today. And and I, and again, I don't want to be too hard on you. I was kind of hard on everybody last night and they kind of let me know it. So I want to be sort of gentle with you here today. But, but a lot of Christians I notice function this way. And even me included at times, I call it the, the open and closed blinds way of relating to God. And, And what we do is, is that we wake up in the morning. And if you're a good Christian, you will open up the blinds and say, good morning to God. And you'll breathe your morning prayers. You might read the daily bread. You might have your devotion. But then what you do is you kind of close the blinds and go on with your day. And you sort of do your own thing and the power of your own strength. And then maybe at, at, at a prayer time before, you know, prayer before lunch, you open up the blinds again and say, thanks, God, for this day. But then you close them. Maybe if you're a really good Christian driving down the freeway on the way home, you might open up the blinds again and say, Thanks God for a great day. And you know, we did this and we did that, and, and then you close the blinds again. And then right before bed, you might open up the blinds again and say, Hey God, help me have a good night's sleep. I don't want to take any ambient tonight, you know, or whatever it is. And, and just I have a prayer that I actually pray every night, Psalm 4, verse 8, that, that is a nighttime prayer. And it says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so maybe you'll breathe a prayer like that and, and, and go to sleep. But, but notice what you've done all day long. You've been opening and closing the blinds. And what God is saying to you today is why don't you consider opening the blinds and keep them open all day long. To the best of your ability, maintain that intimate openness to God each moment of each day. When you're on the elliptical, when you're in a meeting, while you're you're driving down the 101, while you're having a conference, keep the communication lines open. Keep the faith lines open. Don't compartmentalize your life as as if this is now God's time and this is now my time like most Christians do. Why don't you consider having it all be God's? And I Know what some of you think you think, well, who can do that? I mean, who, who can be 100% conscious of God every moment of every day? Here's the answer to that no one. <laughs> I don't think God's expecting perfection. What's the theme of today's message? He's expecting you just to go beyond a little bit, H- have yourself more open to Him, develop a lifestyle of worship, and see what He does with that now. You no longer have ignorance holding you back. Here's a second thing that holds many back from wholeheartedly offering ourselves to God. And this is where I kind of was tough on the crowd last night. So I will work my my darndest to be gentle right now, but this is the truth. It's idleness, idleness. Look at what the scriptures say in, in Proverbs 19, verse 15. It says, laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. Here's the point. Some of us are starved, hungry in our spirit precisely because we have been lazy when it comes to the discipline of worshiping and giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. In other words, and and this isn't, I, I don't think any of us can argue with this, it does take mental and emotional and even spiritual discipline to worship God on a regular basis. Give me a head nod that y'all understand that. I think just coming to church demonstrates that to us. Here's what happens many times when we come to church. We come to church and we got a lot on our minds. we got a lot on our minds from the week before. we got a lot on our minds with the week coming up. But we want to kind of give God his due and focus on him. So we come to church and and, and we do our best to stay focused on God. But many times, and you just have to own this with me because it happens to me too. Many times the music starts and if it's your song, you're going to dial in and worship God. But if it's not your song, what do you tend to do? Anybody here want to own it with me? You just sort of check out. Again, you're not going to you know, make a big stink of it. You're not going to say, this isn't my song. You're not going to do that. But, but I know what you do. If it's not your song, you kind of go, oh, I don't like this song. You know, this new country song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus is kind of hokey. And I don't really want to sing that song, you know. And so you kind of shut down in that moment. <laughs> This is maybe where I was too tough on people last night, so I'll try to be gentle. You're lazy when you do that in the moment. (laughs) Is that gentle enough? You are. I mean, honestly, I've told you guys before, I don't like most of the music we sing in church. Why? Because I like country and Western music. I like that kind of... I actually like that What a Friend thing because that's more of a hoedown song. That's my style. I like old rock music. Like let's do something akin to Kiss but with Christian words. I like that kind of stuff. (laughs) But we're not singing that in church nowadays and I'm not asking us to. My point is I don't need my kind of music in church in order to worship God, amen? If it's not my song, I don't care. You can clap to that if you want. Some of you aren't going to clap. I get it. I've been doing this for 30 years now. When I first got saved, I was in this little Baptist church in Hillsdale, Michigan, and we were singing enlightenment-based songs to an instrument that was 300 years old called an organ, and, and I'd never heard these songs in all of my life. And, and, and I had to learn all these old hymns and, 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 and you know, they weren't what I was used to and, and it wasn't my music. And yet, week after week, I'd go to this little Baptist church and you know what I learned to do? Say the word with me, worship. And, and, and I learned to sing these songs, whether they were my song or not, because I was not gonna cave into laziness and idleness. It doesn't need to be my song in order to worship God. And, and here's the point. This translates into all of life. I don't need to be feeling good driving down the 101 to worship God. I don't need to be feeling good in a meeting in order to cry out to God. I, I, I don't base my spiritual life on my feelings. No, I discipline myself each moment of each day in a good way to stay focused on the Lord. And that's why really one of the culprits for some of us, if we just have to get right down to it, is literally idleness or laziness. When it comes to our inability to worship God, we're just kind of flowing with what we feel in the moment. And That's a very dangerous way to live in your parenting, in your marriage, and in your walk with God. He has much better for you. And, and, and having a disciplined focus on him is many times what it's all about. I can remember years ago when I, I first learned this idea of not being idle, but uh, disciplining myself to worship God. This is a true story. I was a young associate pastor in Detroit, and we were taking a, a big mission trip to Mexico, and I'd never been to Mexico. So I was volunteering to lead this group, and I took about 30 people to the Baja Peninsula south of Ensenada for a, a medical uh, missions trip. And uh, we landed in San Diego. And back then, I know it's hard for some of you to picture, back then I was in incredible shape. I mean, I was running six, eight miles a day and, and, and I didn't get sick very often, but when I did get sick, boy, would I ever get sick. And, and I remember running about six, eight miles that night that we landed in San Diego and I must have picked up some kind of bug because by the time we hit, say, Ensenada, heading down to San Quintin, I could just feel something coming on big time. And by the time we got to this medical facility that we were going to do construction in and do some work in, I I was just sick at all ends of my body. I won't go into detail, but I was not doing well. Spiking a fever. And for the whole five or six days we were there, I was just sicker than a dog. The facilities that we were in were really, really meager. We were staying in a church, sleeping on cement floors. And so I couldn't go out and work because I was literally just laid up. And each day I just lay there on this cement floor, just miserable in this third world country, having never done a mission trip before in my life. and, And it was just a really miserable experience. I'll never forget about midweek, however, uh, in this church, I was laying on one of the pews because it was more comfortable, even though it was wood, than a cement floor. And at about four in the afternoon, uh, a bunch of Mexicans walked in and they were getting ready for the Wednesday evening service. And they started to set up the band and set up the instruments and they started to tune the instruments. And then about 20 uh, Mexicans came in as a very small church for their Wednesday evening worship. And just picture me in the back of it there lying on this pew, I mean, just miserable, and, and, and these, these, these Mexicans in front of me, uh, uh, you know, ready to worship God. And they started to, to worship God. And, and they started to sing. I thought to myself, I don't understand a word they're saying. I, I mean, I, I can speak some Mexican, taco, tamale, enchilada. I mean, I can speak those, but I, I couldn't speak any Spanish at all. And, and they started to, to worship God. And, and at one point I, I sat up And I looked over, and I saw these 20 brothers and sisters in Christ just lifting holy hands in worship, some of them with tears coming down their faces, worshiping God. And you know what I started to do in that moment? Say the word with me one more time. I started to worship. I I, I found myself lifting my hands in praise to God, even though I didn't understand a word they were saying. And I started to focus my sights on him. And I thought to myself, even as a young Christian, I don't want to waste this holy moment. Even though I'm sick, even though I'm far from home, even though I don't understand a word they're saying, I can worship God in this moment. And here's my point. If a young pastor who had a long way to go in his Christian life, sick in a third world country, can worship God in that moment, then you and I, living here in Scottsdale or Phoenix, wherever you live, can worship God each moment of each day. It just takes rejecting this idol spirit that lives inside each one of us. Now, we have just seven minutes before our elder fund offering, and so notice with me a a third thing that holds some of us back, and I'm not gonna spend much time on this, but I think we can all own this in our 21st century sophisticated culture. It would be inhibition. Simply put, there are just some of us who want to worship God more regularly, but we're afraid on what other people might think. If you're looking for a proof text here real quickly, John 12 verses 42 and 43 talk about how there were some of the ruling class in Jesus' day that believed in him, but because of fear of the religious leaders, they didn't want to publicly confess him because they were more concerned about the approval of men than the approval of God. I've been there with this. I can remember when I first started realizing that God wanted me to worship him 24-7 and even that he wanted me to worship him more freely in church and I was in the kind of church as many of us have been in in which you just didn't show anything demonstrative when you worshiped God. I mean, the most you could do is maybe a light clap, but you didn't dare, you know, raise your hands. You didn't dare even move a little bit. I mean, if you were to do that, you would be considered Pentecostal or something like that. And so we would not worship that way. I remember the time when that all ended for me. It was in the late 1990s in a movement called the Promise Keepers Movement. Many of you might remember that where men filled up these huge stadiums and started to deal with issues and how to be a more godly man. And I found myself in the in stadium next to an Episcopalian priest. And this Episcopalian priest, if you think I'm stiff, man, this guy was stiffer than you could ever imagine. So you got this stiff Baptist against this stiff Episcopalian priest. And yet we were out of our environments. We were out of our churches. Nobody was there to see us. And when the music started, We started off kind of slow. We did kind of the half raise first. And before Promise Keepers was over, we were raising holy hands in worship. And that was a breakthrough for many of us back then. We realized it's okay to worship God as he leads you to worship him. Now, quick caveat, because I know every time I mention raising hands in worship, some of you go, oh, I feel pressure when you tell me that. I'm not telling you to raise your hands in worship. I'm really not. If that's not a posture that communicates openness to God for you, listen to me closely, don't do it. Don't do it just because somebody next to you is doing it. If that's not communicating openness to him, then don't do it. Here's my simple point, though. If it does communicate openness to him, but you don't do it because you're afraid of what somebody else next to you might think, then shed that one as of today, amen? Because however it might be for you, God says, open yourself up to me. And inhibition is one of the things that keeps many of us from doing that. So you notice with me, you got ignorance, and then you got idleness, you got inhibition. And then lastly, and with this we're done, but this is the most serious of them all. And we're gonna get back to something I said earlier, you got idolatry. And you're saying, what's that about? Simply put, As I said earlier, if you're not worshiping God, here's what the Bible makes clear. You are worshiping something else. That's something you and I all have to contend with. Some of you are kind of digging your heels in on this message and saying, oh, I don't want to go beyond Thanksgiving. I like my life. I don't want to do more. I don't want to go beyond. That's fine. You don't have to listen to any of this if you don't want to. But here's what you do need to recognize, and this is something none of us can escape, is that if you aren't worshiping God, you are worshiping something else. That is just written into the fabric of how human beings are made or developed, however, you, your worldview is. You are going to put something in first place status in your life. And so, if it's not God, it's yourself. If it's not God, it's your family. If it's not God, it's your money. If it's not God, it's your job. Or, how about this one for American? If it's not God, it's your pet i mean you're going to put something in first place status in your life something is going to fill that slot and you guys all know this if you're believers in jesus god says our daily battle ready ready for this is to keep him in first place status in our lives. And that's why worship is so important because all throughout the day, you're opening yourself up to him and saying, I'm keeping you first place. I'm not gonna allow my 401k, my retirement package, even my wonderful dear dear wife or husband or my kids whom I love or Fido or whatever it might be for you. I'm not allowing that to slip into first place status. The Bible affirms this very clearly. Deuteronomy 5, verses 7 through 9a say it this way. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. And we have made idols today out of materialism, work, even good relationships, even created things. We have made idols out of those things. C.S. Lewis said it best: the goal in life is to keep first things first and second things second. And there's only one way that you can do this if you've fallen into idol worship, and that is to repent, just to turn from that which you put into first place status, and today make God the first place thing in your life. Is what worship is all about. I want to close by doing something that some of you, again, might not like, but I think it's healthy to do this, and it really isn't hard to do it, but I don't want you to do this unless you choose to do this and unless you mean it. Is that clear enough? So I give you permission right now to not engage in the next 30-second activity that we're going to close with, but I encourage you all to do this if you can. And what I simply want to do, and this is in your notes, is I want you to say this phrase with me. I want us to practice right now what a worshipful phrase might look like throughout the day. And the phrase is, I offer myself wholeheartedly to God. Notice it's in the first person singular. So let's say this together if you can. Again, don't do this if you don't want to. But if you want to say this with me, I'd love to hear us all say this out loud. One, two, three. I offer myself wholeheartedly to God. Say it again. I offer myself wholeheartedly to God. One last time, and this time from the depths of your soul, say it. I offer myself wholeheartedly to God. Here's why I had you say that. This week, as you try to apply this stuff that we learned here today, you're going to get to a point in your week where you want to open up yourself to God, but you don't know what to do or what that looks like. You might be in a meeting. You might be driving down the road. You might be sitting there watching TV. And you think, oh my gosh, that's right. I'm supposed to be offering myself to God. And you won't know what to do because like you're focused on the TV. You know what you do? Just memorize this phrase and, and, and say it either out loud or even in your spirit. Just if you don't know what to do, just say, I offer myself wholeheartedly to you, God. Just say it. And I can promise you by saying it, you're gonna start to get it in your spirit. Let's all go beyond thanksgiving. And let's go beyond Thanksgiving to a life of worship because if we had five or 6,000 worshipers here, Cactus Venue Chapel, there'd be no stopping how God might use us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for this Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we're grateful for this time with friends and family, with uh, the things that we do to show thankfulness to those around us and to you. And God, I even thank you that your word shows us how to, how to go beyond even thanksgiving to a life of worship. And God, I pray that as we jettison this idea that worship is relegated to singing on Sunday morning and we realize that worship is this 24-7 activity of offering ourselves wholeheartedly to you, God, help us to do that. That may we no longer allow ignorance or idleness or inhibition or even idolatry to get in the way of our worship of you. May you have first place status in our lives and may our lives be hidden in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.